0: What a Circus is a podcast that invites you to listen in on a teen book club. Our original music is by Darren and Carson Elquist, and original art is by Katya Rogers. Chapter Two, In the Lion's Mouth. This month, we read the book, Let's Go Swimming on Doomsday by Natalie C. Anderson. It's a story of a 16-year-old Somali boy, Abdi, who is forced into being a soldier and fighting with al-Shabaab to try to save his family. It's gritty, and it doesn't shy away from loss, death, rape, or the insanity of governments and other people in power who make decisions that affect seemingly everyone but themselves. It's also very well written. I would like to... Give a quick synopsis of the story so that, even if you've read it, the discussion might be a bit easier to follow. We first meet Abdi, when he is being taken to stay in the apartment of a U.N. aid worker, Sam. Sam cannot find any other place that will host him, due to the fear that boys his age have been with the jihadi group Al-Shabaab. Sam thinks he's innocent. Abdi knows he's not. We then jump back and forth in time, from the then to now. We learn that then, Abdi's brother, Dahir, was kidnapped by Al-Shabaab, when instead of fleeing, he returned to try to save Abdi. That day, Abdi was saved, and Dahir was never seen again. Later, Abdi is approached by a man named Jones, an American high-up who wants to end Al-Shabaab. Jones has had Abdi's family taken. However, if Abdi will agree to go undercover with Al-Shabaab and help Jones bring down the leaders, known as the Doctor and the Butcher, he will set his family free. It's a terrible deal. It's an inhumane deal. It's the kind of deal that goes on in worlds outside of our own. Abdi gets in, convincing his brother, who has since become a convert, and those over him, that he is the real deal. Indeed, he trains and lives and fights with them for so long, he starts to wonder who he really is at all. He has to do horrible things, and make horrible choices. In the now, where he is with Sam... He's trying to move past those events, but the group re-emerges just when he thinks he might be free and, once again, he is faced with terrible choices. The author spent over a decade working with NGOs and the United Nations on re- refugee release and development, mainly in Africa. She knows the territory. Still, she's not Somali. Indeed she's white, and that's where our conversation begins. Once again, please excuse our sound quality. We promise you, we are working on it.
1: Uh, the one thing I really wanted to bring up is that even though this book takes place in Somalia and has, um, you know, mostly like the entire book except for one person is, you know, on the white race, a white woman wrote this book. And I feel like that's something that should be considered. But if you like read the author's note, she definitely talks about why that's important that she notes that this isn't going to be exactly, like, perfect because she is a white woman writing from an experience that she doesn't have. And I just thought it was, like, an important thing to bring up that even though it feels like it's very true to the story, we don't know because the perspective is just one that we're used to.
0: It might be an odd place to start, but I asked them at our first meeting what they had walked away from overall after reading this.
1: Well, at the end of the book, I was very happy with the ending, but I knew like in the back of my mind, I knew that's not how it was in the real world. Like that didn't actually happen. It's not going to be over because it's always going to just keep going on and on. So it was happy, but sad. Yeah, I agree also. I felt like I walked away with like a better understanding of other people's lives outside of mine, because in all reality, I probably won't touch a life like that. And it was just interesting to see some, like a totally different perspective and story that I'm used to And I walked away really empathetic for the situation.
0: they also started to take note that the things in the book were happening in real time in the real world here a student pulls out a news report and reads
2: all right
1: so the headline reads uh, three people killed in an foiled al-shabab attack on a somalia military camp and i just i know that's a terrorist group within the book so i thought that would be interesting Mm-hmm. And it happened as of August 14, 2019 at 1.52
0: p.m. That is past. So like the month we're reading the book, they're still active. A novel in real time, also a very real novel, meaning it's realistic. It taps into how people act and how we handle and shoulder guilt. Abdi did bad things, but so did many others. But they did them together because it's hard to kill or rape, for example, if the culture of your group does not condone or encourage it. But if it does, I fear we are more swayable than we think. Listen as the students connect the novel to what they are currently learning in class.
1: I thought it was like the perfect time to read this book if like you're in psychology this year because it just aligns a lot with the social psychology that we're talking about and like the conformity tests that we're going over and it was like the perfect book to read at this time of the year because it just aligns with what we're doing in psychology. Well, that
0: is a yeah. great point.
1: Mm-hmm. And like de-individuation meaning that like when someone like gets into a group they basically um, become anonymous and so they feel like they're not a single individual they're just part of a group of people mm-hmm. so they that's how they kind of like it's kind of like the scapegoat for how they can like play off the actions that they've committed like I didn't read the book so I don't know like to the extent of but I'm assuming there's like a lot of like war and violence and stuff mm-hmm. so and I think a part of that is like being in a group like that you don't feel like you're an individual you feel like you're part of a group so it's okay mm-hmm. yeah there was a part in the, I like that. Yeah, going along with what Alina said, there was a point in the book where everyone was masked except the main character, Abdi, and he was the most human like and then that woman did look to him because he was the only one. So that really goes along with what she was saying.
0: Like that so the idea that when you do something in groups, whether right or wrong, you do not feel as culpable.
1: Like in the own. for example, because 'cause mm-hmm. they're all like in hoods and like oh, yeah. You feel anonymous, so you feel like, oh, it's not me doing this. It's just the group, basically. Right. Which is kind of scary.
3: Yeah, if you do something like with a group, you don't really have to take responsibility for those actions because you can just be like, well, they're doing it
2: too. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: This applies to actions as big as bombs and as little as throwing your trash on the ground from bullying to cheating, it happens in terrorist organizations, and it happens in high schools. The term, everybody's doing it, can be chilling. Another connection made was to an article they were reading in their AP English class.
2: In in AP English, at least my class, we read an excerpt for like a little writing, and it's called, like, From Ancient Greece to Iraq, the Power of wars in Wartime by Robin Tolmach-Lakel. And it basically it says that um, language is a huge tool used in times of war because it can change people's perspective. And one of the things it said is that groups give like derogatory names or they name a group. Like how uh, I think, like, like we used to call the Japanese the Japs. It so it's like those names that we give. And that it gives the people and the soldiers fighting by giving people those names, it like gives ownership or like kind of like oh we're able to name you, you're not that important, you're less, you're inferior. So in that way, it's okay for us to kill. Mm-hmm. And then I also talked about how like the American soldiers are taught to always address their um, just the, address the other side as enemies because it's easier to kill and use that word enemy which can be a huge group making it less individual and easier to single out and all, all of that so it was it was really interesting it and makes, i feel like it relates to what we're talking about yeah. here yeah. it makes
1: it's, the other group seem like they're not human they're just they're just objects they aren't they don't have their own lives and their own
0: world just It dehumanizes.
1: Yeah.
0: As a teacher, I can't tell you how excited connections like this make me. These students are realizing the tactics they read about are not merely hypothetical. It's real. A real tactic used with deadly precision again and again and again throughout history. They connect it to two characters in particular.
1: That was definitely used in this book, too. Like the general and the doctor, they always said, like, oh, the rich people don't care. They're in Kenya. They're in their fancy mm-hmm. hotels, and they're just getting fat, food into their mouths, not paying attention to anything that's happening.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So,
0: Do you guys see a difference between the doctor and the butcher?
3: Yes. I think that the doctor seems more like he really does believe in his cause, like, being good and for God, but, the uh, Butcher? Mm -hmm. The other guy, uh, he just, he doesn't want the other people to be in power. It's more because he wants to be in power.
1: That also ties in with how he's, like, scamming money. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Like,
1: taking it for himself instead of putting it into Al-Shabaab. He's being like all of the other leaders, hypocritical. Right. Yeah, so.
0: All the people they profess to hate.
1: Yeah, he's mm-hmm. just copying them.
0: Exactly that. Mm-hmm. Do you think the doctor knew?
3: Uh, I don't think so. I think he would have been pretty, like, mad and would have tried to get him out of the group.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> In the novel, Abdi's al-Shabaab is run by two people, the doctor and the butcher. The doctor is more of a spiritual head, and the butcher is the muscle, the general that makes the troops march. He is also stealing much of the profits and lining his own coffers. Anderson, in other words, has created two characters to run the jihadi group. While a reader might not agree with any of their methods, the doctor's character comes away less tainted. He really believes in what he does. He believes it's the right thing. He's a bit like Jones, the American government agent who makes Abdi choose between his family or his life. Both are gray, both perhaps well-meaning in their ways, but both also ruthless. Whoever gets in the way of their wholesome plans will die. Simple. The butcher, on the other hand, is a hypocrite. He doesn't believe what he says. He believes in money and getting richer. He is easy to despise. But it was in getting to know the many young men involved in al-Shabaab, that had a hand in changing our view of it. You see, we are just as guilty. While the doctor and the butcher talk about the quote-unquote evil, rich, and powerful and cloak their language, we talk of terrorists, extremists, jihad, it's still cloaked language. We aren't looking at the individual at all. We don't see the Abdis or the Bashirs or the Khalids. We don't know whether they are acting willingly. Many probably are, but we can't know what is in another soul just like they can't know us.
1: Well, the book definitely made Auschwab sound less scary in a way, because like, the people Good. that are in it aren't as terrifying as you would seem after reading the book.
0: And they're not always in it willingly, which... Yeah,
3: like being kidnapped yeah. and forced to like do awful stuff. And
1: stuff.
0: The other powerful man in this book, Jones, is with the Americans and working to stop Al-Shabaab. Jones might want to end a terrorist organization, but he doesn't seem to mind inflicting terror on others in order to make them help him get his way. He's a complicated character. And so one student asks, is Jones a good guy? Can I have one question?
2: Yes.
1: Is Jones a good person? No. I mean, I know he was put in a really difficult, like, position, like, to try and make things better, but I just can't see anyone who does that to other people as a good person. Like, he might be doing the right thing, but I don't think that qualifies him as, like, a good person.
2: I think that Jones,
1: I don't think anyone's, like,
3: entirely good or bad. Uh, uh, And I really do feel like Jones thinks he's a really good person with what he's doing. I think he's, he's sort of in between. He, he had uh, the main character like beat up for like three days straight.
0: Right. So like... You don't totally get to land on the good side. Yeah. yeah. In one scene, Abdi has done his job, and the doctor is no longer a threat. Jones agrees to release his family, finally. One of the students loved this quote about him in particular.
3: But for a second, I had his entire attention. For that brief moment, something passes over his face. It's as if he suddenly sees all of this for what it really is. He sees that he's an old, tired man. A grown-up bully who's just moved into a bigger playground. Maybe he truly believes that he's here to make things better, but for this one moment, he understands exactly what it costs. He sees what he's broken in the process of trying to fix us all who he's
0: broken. That last part, the most important part, is a bit garbled, so let me repeat it. But for one moment, he understands exactly what that costs. He sees what he's broken in the process of trying to fix us all, who he's broken.
1: And I feel like that's such a big thing now too, is like people are trying to fix problems, but to fix the problems you have to sometimes like, really do things that can hurt other people or like, that's the whole like debate is is it worth solving the problem if it causes like more pain like it's the whole like how do you solve the problem in a humanistic way and how long is that going to take and, and there was another quote I can't remember what page it was on but it was initially when he was being held captive by Jones and he was tied up and being tortured daily and it said that he thought his thoughts were butterflies and I thought that was really like Symbolic because his thoughts were the only part of him that were free and like could like, fly away But the rest of him was tied down and I feel like that's such a like big concept
0: for this book Like for so many people in the book mm-hmm. who are all kind of being bound and tied to the structures of their society We talked a while about that about how perhaps governments decide Will there be more winners than losers because there will always be losers, but are the losers that important? Are they more important than the grand vision? I don't envy those who have to make those choices, so I probably shouldn't sit in judgment of them either. Still, Abdi is a loser in this game, and he is a person. He had a life he loved, with a family he loved, and he loses all of that when he wins the game for Jones. Well, he doesn't lose all of it. His brother lives, and we see them after everything living together, being looked over by Sam, the NGO worker, and able to communicate at times with their family, who has been sent to live and hide in the United States. What did the students think of this relatively happy ending? Let me ask before the bell rings, on a scale of one to 10, where would you place this? Nine. Eight. Nine. Nine. Eight. Eight. Eight.
1: But it was good how it ended. I liked how it ended. Was it too happy? I thought so. Yeah, it, Is it kind, kind of, of. Are you was, still happy it ended that way? Yeah. <laughs> or I don't know. I was expecting it to be like a super sad ending Yeah. with like no aftermath, but I liked how it ended and then gave us a little after story of what right. they did. Yeah, because... Um,
3: once he got about halfway through, it got more into what he was doing, like, in Al-Shabaab with the bombs mm-hmm. uh, instead of going then and now because he kept doing that at the beginning. And I think that was trying to show how, like, he would be guilty about doing something in the then and then in the now he would still be guilty about it. It would just show after three years he was still guilty. Still then, guilty. Finally, he managed to, like, Feel
1: better. I thought that ending, too, like the, the whole book wasn't fluffy, like it wasn't like a fluff piece to make like people feel better about their lives, like it was honest, but then the end just kind of took away from that because everything worked out for pretty much everybody mm-hmm. in the best way that it could and that's just not how it happens.
0: Natalie C. Anderson should be proud. Few books have scored an eight or higher with this crew. We highly recommend it to both teens and adults. Next month, we will be reading The Love and Lies of Roxana Ali by Sabina Khan. Khan takes on a topic that is underrepresented in YA literature. The main character is an American teen who is also Bengali and whose parents and culture are Muslim. She, however, is gay and lives in fear of her family finding out. When they do find out, they whisk her away to Bangladesh to try to reform her and do what they believe she should be. What follows is hard, heartbreaking, frustrating, but ultimately hopeful. We would love you to join us. I hope listening to this discussion about Let's Go Swimming on Doomsday has given you some food for thought, as it has me. The world can be a brutal place and things are always much more gray than black or white. All people do things for a reason, be it greed, a longing for justice, a desire to protect those we love, you name it. I always like to see us out with our music, but I would like to switch that up this time. Last summer, when I was playing around with some sound software, I recorded my kids, age eight, practicing their instruments, the piano for my daughter and drums for my son. And what I ended up with somehow seems right for this novel. The piano is rough and sad and slow and reminds me of sorrow. But then, partway through, from the other room comes the heartbeat of the drums. We'll never live without sorrow, We will always hurt others and be hurt by them. Sometimes maliciously, sometimes accidentally, sometimes because like Abdi, we are the price for someone else's idea of a greater good. But Abdi lived and his brother lived. They will always have targets on their backs and they will never see their family again. But they are alive. There's the heartbeat behind the sorrow. We are all going to die. All of us. What a circus. That alone should make us love each other more. We'll see you next month. Go.